You are now listening to a Fit Plus Love production. It is our 50th anniversary. It's also the 50th anniversary of the U.S. Open being the first Grand Slam to offer equal prize money. You know, Billie Jean King was and is an amazing, amazing leader. I, I cannot express in words how much she means to to the world. And no wonder she has as many awards and uh, as much recognition as she has. I sat next to her very recently in a in a junior kind of education panel that, that we had at Wimbledon. When you listen to her, you know, she's got something very, very special. She's a game changer and has been for a very long time. Her energy, everything about her is just remarkable. So what she did is she didn't just go to the U.S. Open and say, oh, you know, you need to pay us equal prize money. You need to do this. You need to do that. She came with a solution. And that solution in the form of a, of a sponsor, which was a band deodorant by Bristol Myers. And she came with what made the difference to then then offer equal prize money. You know, the band made up that prize money difference. And that is what we have to do. You know, we have to build the business so that the distributions are equal. And we are going there. We, we're getting there. That was Mickey Lawler. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative, movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I'm syncing up with WTA President Mickey Lawler. As head of the Women's Tennis Association, the organization founded by Billie Jean King in 1973, Mickey oversees an organization representing more than 1,600 athletes across 85 countries, hosting more than 50 annual events and four Grand Slams. I'm super psyched about this conversation, as it is the Marnie on the Move podcast official foray into the world of tennis, a sport I grew up playing and love to watch. This has been in the works for the past year, and we are finally here. It is also the 50th anniversary of the WTA and US Open this year, and syncing up with Mickey is an amazing way to get the ball rolling when it comes to the world of tennis. She is a true thought leader and game changer. Mickey was recently honored by Forbes on the 50 over 50 list as her work has been truly instrumental in the world of women's tennis and the WTA. She is responsible for expanding the WTA tour in China and Asia more broadly. This expansion has included forging broadcast deals, setting record prize money, and creating new tennis events for women in the sport. During our conversation, we talk about where her career in tennis began and how she has played a role in the growth of women's tennis and the WTA over the years. We do a deep dive into the WTA partnerships and the role they play in expanding the sport and empowering athletes for success with tools for training, recovery, mental health, business and finance education, including most recent sponsorships with Hologic and Morgan Stanley, as well as other partners, SAP, Whoop, and Modern Health. I get behind the scenes intel on the ideation and production of Breakpoint, the amazing tennis docuseries on Netflix, and how it all came to fruition. If you haven't seen this docuseries, I highly recommend you watch it this week. It is incredible and amazing. It's an eye-opening look into the world of tennis, the incredible athletes, and all that they go through behind the scenes before you see them crushing it on the court. And of course, it wouldn't be the Marnie on the Move podcast without getting the inside scoop on the exercise and wellness fueling Mickey for success as a busy executive always on the move. 
I'm sure you're going to love this conversation. If you do, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to the app wherever you listen to your Apple podcast. Click on the five stars. Click on leave a review and tell us what you love. Also on Spotify, feel free to leave us five stars and share this on your social channels. Most importantly, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on TikTok, all the platforms, Instagram, we are there. Tag us, we'll tag you back. Now onto my conversation with Mickey. Mickey, it is so great to connect with you today on the Marnie on the Move podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you, Marnie. It's great to be a guest. Thank you for having me. We are in a very exciting time in the world of women's sports, right? I mean, yeah, we're celebrating 50 years of the women's tour. We're in the second year of the women's Tour de France. And we're in the middle of the FIFA Women's World Cup. How does it feel, having been in this industry your whole life, to be where we are now? It is definitely a pivotal moment in, in the history of women's sports. And it's incredibly exciting to be at this point where everybody understands the value that women's sports brings to the table. So it is really positive. Great. Yeah. And how did you get started in the sports industry and what motivated you to become one of the first female sports agents? To be honest with you, in in the 80s, it it wasn't that I was motivated to become a, a, a sports agent. I didn't even know that that one could become a sports agent, actually, until I started working on the Nabisco Grand Prix, which was the men's tour at the time. And uh, it was called the Men's International Professional Tennis Tour, sponsored by Nabisco. So it was the Nabisco Grand Prix. And I traveled 45 weeks a year on tour. And I really got to know the sport inside and out. Um, I got to know all the players and and uh, and the tournaments and I was in charge of writing the tournament <clears throat> reports so site set up operations um, everything that worked everything that needed improvement and so that prepared me for for life as an agent I actually do not love the term I, I actually hate the term agent okay because it has a little bit of a negative connotation and it doesn't capture everything that you do an athlete representation, you know, you, you have to be an advocate for your athlete and really capture the full value that he or she has created through performance of their, their sport, their art. So it was, um, you know, a completely natural evolution for me. And I consider myself incredibly fortunate to have found the profession because I enjoyed it for 27 years. So what was the landscape like when you started and how have you seen it evolve? Well, the entire landscape of of women in the workplace was very different than it is now. And um, I didn't have a visa to work in the U.S. So I went back to Europe after graduate school. And in, in the U.S., when I was in graduate school, I was on a research and teaching assistantship scholarship. And so so I was making a living uh, as a graduate student, and I was given many opportunities to present papers and to work with professors and work on leading research in the field of linguistics. And so when I went back to Europe, it was, um, you know, every job interview, do you, you know, what? how fast can you type and, and what's your What's your skill level in shorthand? And um, and there was really no no pathway to a career in management or, you know, it, it was you were in a support role. And then when I was lucky enough to f- find the job with the MIPTC, with the men's tour, I was interviewed by various agencies. The, the three big agencies were IMG, Pro, ProServe and, um, and Advantage International, which is now Octagon. And. They, the, all the agencies have gone through incredible change and evolution as well. But I ended up with, with Octagon, and it was, the even the interview process was, you know, I was literally told, we don't know if a woman can do the job. Wow. <laughs> so that is one hell of a risk that they took, and uh, and I'm forever grateful. You know, and, and, and actually, even for us, women growing up in that era 
you know, at some level it was, it, we, we knew it was not fair, but, you know, we also were very accepting of certain things that mm-hmm. today would be totally unacceptable. We yeah. just managed around them and, um, yeah, it was a very, very different world. You worked on some of the biggest partnerships to exist for women's sports. So what were some of those that you worked on, like in your early career? Well, in the early, in my early career, it was about finding opportunities around the world for women. And, and actually, I think my, my childhood prepared me very well for this because, you know, I'd lived in nine different countries and, and um, I spoke different languages. So I understood the world from a very unique perspective that, you know, nobody can teach you. And, and that was a massive privilege. So I, I understood how the world was moving and, um, and where the opportunities were going to be. So while the men were playing in these traditional big capital cities of major markets, the opportunities for women were maybe a little bit under the radar. And, uh, but, you know, they became <clears throat> then, you know, in many instances or in numerous instances, the women, um, the women drove the opportunity for tennis and then the men kind of followed. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say that, that in my early career, those opportunities were geographic opportunities. Okay. So growing the stage of where the women would play and then thereby growing the sport, growing the audience. Um, you know, we were involved in, in television deals and big endorsement deals for, for athletes in doing, um, approaching endorsements a little bit differently to make sure that, you know, there was the risk was minimized for both athlete and, and brand. And then, um, looking at investing in the marketing behind this, this athlete so that, you know, there was a win-win. There were all kinds of creative creative ways in which, in which the business was grown. You started your career in sports with tennis, right? My entire sports career has been in tennis. And when I worked at Octagon, there was a lot of international work. So before the, the Olympics in Beijing, I worked on some of our athlete activation to get them used to China and things like that. But my focus was always on tennis. You started working at the WTA eight years ago. How did your career shift when you started? Yes, I started working for the women's tour on uh, January 1st in 2015. And of course, I've been very involved in WTA for most of my career. And when I came into the WTA, it was still a big, a big change because before I was responsible for the career of a number of athletes and capturing that value now. And even though I was on the board for 10 years on the tournament side, now um, there was this balancing act of we're a member organization, half owned by tournaments, half owned by players. And the balance that you have to find is entirely different. You know, there are opportunities that are great for players, uh, that put more stress on the tournaments. There are opportunities that are great for the tournaments that put more stress on the players. So you need to find an entirely different point of of balance. So what were brands looking at? They were looking at the numbers, at the eyeballs, at all of that, right? Yeah, I came in at a time where, uh, where data analytics uh, became very important and um, and also the digital footprint of the WTA. Right. So the value of the WTA before 2015 was really in the global nature of the tour, the tournaments, and the players. When the digital age came to be, yeah. it gave us an opportunity to really elevate the brand of WTA. And by doing that, also elevating the members of the WTA, the tournaments and the players. So it just gave us a lot more bandwidth to to tell the stories of the WTA, to tell the player stories, to introduce the players to, to a, a new and younger fan base. 
So um, that that was really the the biggest opportunity, and you know it's still the biggest challenge because yeah. you never have a team that's big enough or resources that are enough. But you know we've we've made great strides. So you just signed one of the biggest sponsors to date, Hologic for the WTA. Talk to me a little bit about Hologic and how it's helping with building the tour and the content and everything that you're doing. Yeah, the the opportunity of working with Hologic has been game changing, of course. Not only is Hologic a perfect extension of the WTA family and the WTA family to the Hologic family, yeah, because they are industry leaders in women's health. And so women's health is fundamental to us. It is to them. It is a focal point of what they do. It's a focal point of what we do. It has enabled us to actually elevate. We, we do physicals for our players every year. And we've been able to add technology to those physicals that are relevant to bone density, for example, and analyze baseline levels of bone density of our athletes. Obviously, Hologic does, um, they make mammogram machines, which are also very important to us women. And they do uh, DNA testing, um, genetic testing, and they are engaged in a number of fronts that are fundamental to to us. They have also come up with the Global Women's Health Index, which is where um, they measure where countries sit in terms of of women women's health and um and that's been very interesting for us in in other work that we do and you know it's generally a a perfect you couldn't ask for a better match it's both for the health of the players and awareness of the viewers and then also just like yeah. great for the growth of the brand from a sponsorship perspective yeah. and during the pandemic uh, whole logic played a major role in they developed a PCR test that was very, very good and fast. And so they saved many, many lives because that was the go-to PCR test at uh, hospitals and emergency rooms around the world. And also they found that during the pandemic, women didn't go to get their their you know annual mammograms or their baseline testing because in many cases they couldn't and and in other cases there were so many problems in in the home that you know that was um, just deprioritized and and kind of left uh and and the consequences were pretty clear in a negative way cancer cases that could have been preventable or or you know advanced cancer yes that could have been caught earlier so so for for hologic it was important to bring that back to the front and the brand awareness and also what the brand stands for awareness. So we've done a number of really great work and a number of great events and, and we've done some great work together and we love, love, love working with the Hologic team. All right, just dropping in here to give a shout out to our partners, AG1. I started drinking AG1 daily over a year ago. I was looking for an all-in-one nutritional supplement that was easy to add to my daily wellness routine. AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple, drinkable habit. It helps build your health foundation first. I drank mine while making my coffee in the morning. With just one scoop, I get the nutrients and gut health support to thrive throughout my day and cover my nutritional bases. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Marnie on the Move. That's drinkag1.com slash Marnie on the Move. Now back to our conversation. What are some other game-changing companies that you've worked with over the years that have impacted the sport of tennis. So we have worked with SAP since 2013, and that was a very innovative partnership for us. They're also phenomenal. And I would say the lesson in how to do partnerships well yeah. is to really, you know, to approach it as we are, we are a, a family, you know, we are, um, 
we've we've chosen each other to to do impactful work and with SAP that is also very true so they are our data analytics partner and with SAP we captured data that is collected at the tournaments that involves player and ball tracking as well as you know patterns of play unforced errors winners you know what at what point do players struggle uh, where are they strong that's amazing where, yeah yeah so, so there's a lot more work to be done in this area and it is it it's expensive but it's necessary so we need to invest in this area but we've done really innovative work and and also very interesting for me to see having worked with so many athletes is that the data that was collected and then visualized for the player the coach would be able to to show to the player yeah. and 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 create a very objective discussion between player and coach. There was no more subjectivity about you're right and I'm wrong. Right. It is, you know, this is what it is. It's in the we data. We can see yeah. these, yeah. And so, you know, fascinating tools to work with. So when you're looking for partners, you're looking for both the ability to empower the athletes and the sport, but also like to support the sport from a, from a sponsorship perspective and create more opportunities for women in tennis. Yeah. And, and I, I also want to mention, you know, of course, um, we, we did bring on a new sponsor this year, Morgan Stanley. And Morgan Stanley is also a phenomenal partner in that they're helping us with education of, of athletes in the, in the financial space, which is really important because the financial um, experience of an athlete is very different to to the one that you and I may have. You know, we've got 45 years or yeah. 50 years of, of work, of, of a career, and their careers are very short. So uh, Morgan Stanley has been great. We've also worked with them on community outreach and <clears throat> bringing young girls from underserved communities to like the stock exchange and and to to speak to their female executives and female staff and enable them to envision a career in finance so it's it's um it's that's been great and and new and innovative we work with whoop on capturing personal data and I'm wearing one right now I love whoop so whoop has done an extraordinary job of capturing a lot of personal data you probably or there are times when I think, okay, this is too much. But if you're a professional athlete, it's massively valuable, you know. And it's incredible to see that, you know, even one glass of wine has an impact on your sleep quality or that you need to really respect your circadian rhythm or um, or your health is on the line. And, you know, it's really incredible to, to be part of, of that journey. And whoop, again a phenomenal team of people. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's so many people you've worked with over the years. Yeah. How do you see the future of women's tennis in terms of competition, innovation, and fan engagement? It's on the up and up and up. Now there's a 1,000% wider acceptance of women's sports and recognition that is really well-deserved, you know, like female athletes are incredible and so that that has been a big cultural shift in my lifetime and 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 also to see you know younger fans really engage and and you know have these social platforms that give them the chance to pine and you know sometimes it also brings back of course it brings bad stuff too but in general that you know just this direct relationship with with your fans is is amazing and um and that you know it's it's growing 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 so it's going from strength to strength and i think that the fact that you know you mentioned tour de france yeah and uh, you mentioned the fifa world cup uh the women's world cup that that's going on in new zealand and australia it just you know we build on each other and yeah. so you know these these communities and and they're now more gender neutral than ever so it's great. Tennis has really paved the way for women in sports. 
Well, an interesting point to note is, so it is our 50th anniversary. It's also the 50th anniversary of the U.S. Open being the first Grand Slam to offer equal prize money. You know, Billie Jean King was and is an amazing, amazing leader. I, I cannot express in words how much she means to to the world. And no wonder she has as many awards and uh, as much recognition as she has. I sat next to her very recently in a in a junior kind of education panel that that we had at Wimbledon. When you listen to her, you know, she's got something very, very special. She's a game changer and has been for a very long time. Her energy, everything about her is just remarkable. So what she did is she didn't just go to the US Open and say, oh, you know, you need to pay us equal prize money. You need to do this, you need to do that. She came with a solution. And that solution in the form of a, of a sponsor, which was a band deodorant by Bristol Myers. And she came with what made the difference to then then offer equal prize money. You know, the band made up that prize money difference. And that is what we have to do. You know, we have to build the business so that the distributions are equal and we are going there. We, we're getting there. The biggest difference to date is still in yes. the media, right? But, you know, also recognize that the men have more tournaments. You know, they've got approximately 20 more tournaments than, than we do. So there's there's maybe bigger volume. There's this, you know, long history and, and, you know, they just have a head start. But on the sponsorship side, I can tell you that it's very even. That's awesome. Yeah. Shout out to our sponsors at Delta G. Delta G is the pioneer of the Oxford ketone ester and revolutionary exogenous ketones company being used by world champion, Ironman, Tour de France, Formula One athletes, Olympians, recreational athletes, and longevity-seeking, wellness-savvy individuals looking to optimize athletic performance and everyday health. I have been adding Delta G exogenous ketones to my morning coffee, using it for athletic recovery after hard workouts and in training daily. Ketones are nature's super fuel. When the body is pushed to its limits, we convert stored body fat into ketones for energy that help fuel the brain and the body. Delta G delivers that exact ketone produced naturally in the body, called DBHB. With Delta G, you can achieve high levels of circulating blood ketones known as ketosis safely and immediately without having to fast to get to that level. Beyond boosting energy levels and performance, exogenous ketones improve mental clarity, combat brain fog, and metabolic health, and serve as a fourth macronutrient and fuel for your brain, so you don't exclusively need to use glucose. Delta G was created through a collaboration between the University of Oxford and NIH, with funding from the Department of Defense in 2003 as a way to provide efficient fuel for warfighters. Just two years ago, Delta G became available to the public. Throughout the years, researchers have been able to utilize this technology in various studies, amounting to over 55 published Delta G studies, with 25 more ongoing. It's time to take your health and athletic performance to the next level. Head over to Delta G Ketones and use our code MARNIE20. Now, back to our conversation. How many women are there as part of the World Tour of Tennis? I know there's we know the women and the athletes that are competing in the U.S. Open or Wimbledon and the Grand Slam, but there's there's thousands, right, of athletes? Yeah, yeah, there are thousands. Yeah, and you know you can you can break it down in, um, you know, the first 250 ranked players and then the top 500 players. So yeah, it's it's very deep and very global. We have players from over 90 countries, and we play in 30 different countries. And we've got close to a, a billion audience on broadcast. So that's great. Yeah, it it, it is. We we produce about twenty five hundred matches that are live on our world feed. So it's it's um it's a big undertaking. It takes a 
a village. It tastes kind of many villages. Yeah, I'm sure. When did the idea for the Breakpoint series on Netflix come to fruition? And how did you, how's it doing? I mean, I loved it. I loved every episode. Yeah. I'm waiting for the next group. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. So we were very, very lucky because the producers are box to box and box to box are the best. Yeah. They have made, uh, and, and I remember going to watch the movie called Senna. It, it was about Ayrton Senna, who very, very sadly died in a, in a horrific crash. Um, he was the number one. He was world champion in, in F1 from Brazil. And, um, and so they made a, a documentary about him and that was, I didn't know box to box and I went to see that documentary and I remember walking out and saying to my friend, that was the best thing, best piece of work I've ever seen in, in sports. Amazing. Then they made the Amy Winehouse documentary, which is also really good. I mean, you, you can see what's at the core. It's a very, very rich way of working it's it's you know they get inside the heads of of these very talented individuals you know in the case of maradona they show so effectively what one person did to the city of naples and how he literally changed the course of the city of naples and he you know got everybody involved and it, it's just fascinating because it shows you the power of sport then, of course, they did Drive to Survive, which was the first series. Well, that speaks for itself. So ATP Media had uh, a relatively new member join their team. His name is Nick Bourne, and Nick Bourne had the relationship with Box to Box. And so then Box to Box brought Netflix to the table, and the idea was we need to get the Grand Slams and both tours in on this so we need to work together so for us it was a very interesting and great exercise because the one thing you mentioned it before you meet a lot of people and you meet a lot of extraordinary people i mean how lucky are we right right so everybody on the, we would have these monday morning six or seven a.m calls uh we worked through christmas to get this done and um and on Christmas, and we were all so committed to this is this is a big opportunity. We need to make it happen. So um, so we did, and um, we decided, or or box to box and Netflix said, would you be open to doing two drops instead of dropping it all? You yeah. know, season one in one go, doing two because box to box had a learning curve, and you know, they hadn't realized how complicated tennis was. They had to travel to not only the events on tour, but also to the athletes' homes, right. like you saw. And so there was a huge amount of work involved and logistically expensive and complicated. So so there was still a lot of post-production work to be done once the first five episodes launched. And yeah. they wanted to get it right. And I think that in the in the second five episodes you really, you see, you know, for, for me, of course, I've, I've lived and breathed this for so long, but I can see in the second five episodes, you got it, you know, yeah. you, you, they you nailed kept, it. Yeah. 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 It's fantastic. It really is. If anybody's listening yeah. to this podcast and they haven't watched it yet, they have to, because first it's like, you're immediately pulled into the world of tennis. You learn so much about the sport. You learn so much about these incredible athletes that it's so different than other sports. Tennis is, you, you only have a couple opportunities to win. It's not the same thing as like running or triathlon or cycling. It's ultra competitive. Yeah, there's only one winner every week and uh, you know, everybody else goes home. There's no second or third place. Yes, it's a tough, tough environment and it's incredibly competitive. It's also extremely tough on the body. There's so much travel involved. It's very demanding. There have been so many players over the course of the years that have changed the sport of tennis, you know, over the decades, like starting with Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova, who I grew up watching. And then I was just beyond excited when Serena and Venus hit the court because they changed the whole game from fashion to playing to everything. And they really inspired me as somebody who grew up playing tennis 
I was so excited. It inspired me to get back into tennis. And then, of course, Naomi Osaka and Lee Na. There are so many incredible women on the court. Who are some of the current or up-and-coming stars of women's tennis that you're super excited about and why? Well, I am super excited about, uh, you know, you look at, at the top 10 now and, you know, what just happened at Wimbledon. Yes. We're literally standing on the shoulders of giants. And each generation started and took it a step further and and further and further. And the, 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 the athlete who is a game changer and who's brought in an entire new culture and continent to our ecosystem is Ons Javor. She yes. is showing, you know, women who come from a culture where sports is not, you know, a big part of the, of uh, certainly for women where, you know, it's still very male dominant in, in certain ways or, you know, male caring of, of women. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a game changer for, for the Arab world, for the African world. And, you know, you can see that in Breakpoint also when you see, you know, how she was welcomed when she came back to Tunisia. After that was amazing. It, incredible. And, uh, and, and every time you witness that, you just, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, a wonderful seat in the house to see change, change in the world and the tiny little bit of grain of sand that we contributed to that is magnificent. And then to have Marketa Vondrusova come in and win, um, you know, when she's suffered so much setback and she's so talented and so good, but, you know, she's had a lot of issues in terms of injuries and surgeries. And, you know, it's, it's, again, it's not easy, but she overcame it. And my God, what an impressive showing. And then um, obviously you've got, people like Arina Sabalenka and Ia Sviantek and Coco Goff and Petra Kvitova, who just got married last weekend. And she has been around for a while and has incredible staying power. You've got Maria Sakkari from Greece, who is just a fantastic human being. And then you've got on the men's side, Stefano Sissipas. So two champions from Greece unheard of it's amazing it's like become such a cultural sport too i love that there's just people from all around the world playing and you learn about their cultures through their stories and then you've got jess pagula who comes from a family that is heavily invested in in football and hockey and you know male sports and she is such a champion yeah i like her a lot she's awesome yeah she's she's super down to earth she works hard yes. and she's from New York like, State. Incredibly grounded. So impressive. So, so impressive. Yeah. I, I uh, hats off to, to every one of these women and also Elena Ribakina, who won Wimbledon last year in, in a you know tough, tough year when, you know, we had the whole controversy around the Russian players that weren't, yes. weren't allowed to compete and, you know, everybody suffered as a result. So, yeah, there's there's a lot to be excited and about and, and very proud of. How is the WTA empowering athletes with tools for mental health? That's a very good question, actually, because mental health has always been an area of focus for the WTA. So we've had a mental health team in place for many years, although, you know, our resources in the beginning were quite limited but now we've partnered with Modern Health, uh, which you, you may know, and it is, um, it's phenomenal because Modern Health has a network of incredible therapists and you, know, you, can, you can do FaceTime sessions with them or you know, virtual sessions with them. And you can, you know, if, if, there's, if the match is not great, you can look for another therapist. And so uh, working with them has expanded our network greatly, and it's also been very, very good to see that it's a subject that's pretty openly spoken about now. And you know, the taboo around mental health and you know feeling down and depressed is is going away, thankfully, because that is number one probably in in being able to tackle mental health is understanding that there's really no difference between mental health and physical health right. when you need help you need help you know and and uh 
and you are smart to uh to you know to work on on getting better or to just get some support in trying to work through through problems like you know would we benefit the two of us in working through um our anxiety in in you know situations of turbulence on right. planes god I, I wish i wish somebody could walk me through that because it's incomprehensible to me why why is this so you know our athletes are constantly under stress they live a very intense life and so it is essential to to have a support system to to handle that and manage it at every level of the sport, right? Like not just the, the pros that are in the grand slam. I mean, it's like the young players, the players who are the emerging players. And I feel like Naomi Osaka was one of the first players to like talk about mental health in the sport yeah. of tennis that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was kind of like my, you know, first experience with a tennis player talking about that. And then, you know, it's just been a big topic in all sports. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, you could also say, you know, when players struggle in my day, the go-to thing was to have an injury. And of course, you know, there are always little niggles and things that, that you need to focus on strengthening, but having an injury was, you know, your way to, to get a timeout. You know, I'm not saying that people were claiming to be injured when they weren't, but it was what the I'm only saying, way you could do it. Kind of, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and and it was, you know, showing weakness. I mean, showing weakness is pretty courageous, if if you ask me. Even I would say in leadership, showing vulnerability is fantastic. Why not? You know, we're all human, right? Yeah. And and it actually enables you to connect with everybody and to say, you know what? I don't think I'm the best, and I need. I need you. We need your expertise in this and this, you know. Here's what I really don't know. And there's a lot that I don't know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think uh, showing vulnerability is a, is a big part of leadership. And now as someone who's in the business of empowering women and athletes for success and fueling this movement for women's sports, how do you bring athletics into your personal life? Do you play tennis? <laughs> Tell me, what's your athletic routine? Well, obviously the job is very time consuming, you know, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's everything. Um, so I do exercise. I find that exercise is fundamental to the organization of your, your brain and to, you know, to clear your head, give you ideas, think things through, work through problems in your head. So I do exercise every day, unless I really can't because I have an early flight or whatever, but I do it early. I used to do it at five in the morning. You know, as you age, things change. And also the pandemic has changed working habits a bit in that, you know, we now have the ability to have very, very early morning calls with other uh, time zones. Yeah. And so then I'll do a, a very early call and then, you know, exercise like from seven to eight or, or, you know, I, I just whenever, whenever it works, yeah. but I, I do, I am pretty disciplined about, about that, which I've learned through sports. Uh, I guess I've always had it, but you know, just hard work. There's no, there's no shortcut around that. And, um, and fairness, balance, kindness, respect. Those, those are, some of the values that just, you know, you pick up from, uh, from the world in which, in which, you know, that's the culture in which we live. It's uh, very good. Now, do you play tennis? So I used to play tennis, but you know why? First of all, I don't have time to play tennis, but I did play tennis and I had a pretty serious bike accident in 2001 and I, I have five vertebrae that are fused. So I cannot play tennis. But even if that were not the case, if you are a chess player, but you're working with grandmasters, you kind of, you go, okay, you know what? I'm not going to go there. Yeah. L leave that to the, to the experts. And I'm going to keep in my little corner of what I can do. And so, so yeah, I, I have not played tennis in a long time. What's your workout? Like, what do you do? So I was a runner for a very long time. And now what I do is I try to walk about five miles a day, like at a 14 minute pace and do weights 
you know, I'll do some weights and um, keep the core strong. I have to yeah. um, in order to to keep that that uh, hardware that I have in my back balanced and working well. And then um, bike, stationary bike. And then you also have to be kind of flexible in that because we travel so much. I was going to ask, yeah. There are gyms sometimes. Uh, if there's a gym, I mean, there's no way I have time to walk five miles when I'm on the road. But I'll do a gym treadmill on an incline and I'll do four miles to get, you know, kind of a cardiovascular. And then I, I prefer cardiovascular to weights, but you know, I just um, heard from the doctor yesterday that, Hey, as you get older, you've got the weights. As a triathlete, definitely my least favorite thing to do, but it is so important. It makes a big difference for longevity purposes, right? Yes. And what about wellness? I mean, you mentioned you travel so much. How do you stay healthy and kind of make sure your immune system is good and like all those things? Yeah, so that that is hard. And uh, as as the years have gone by, I've gotten more and more um, nervous on airplanes for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, This kind of spiked in 2001 uh, after September 11. And I haven't been able to get it under control, but I, I fight through it. And, you know, I always ask for a window seat and I look at the weather radar and turbulence expectations um, before <laughs> before takeoff. It's ridiculous. No, um, it's, I'm I, the same I, way, but I don't travel as much as you. So, oh, I mean, you have awful. so many air miles. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when I when I ask for a window and I usually get it, but sometimes so that's hard. Um, so that's not a time to work on wellness. It's time to just survive. <laughs> I totally get that. It's like, I don't know where, like out of nowhere, like certain things just come up. I mean, I don't fly as much as you do, but I don't love flying. I mean, I kind of actually hate flying. And it's always a challenge for me because if I were flying the plane, I'd be fine. All the scary things that have happened. So I don't know. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, it's cumulative damage. And also your anxiety, which everybody has, has to come out in one way or another. So yeah. this is how it manifests itself. And, you know, you you work through it. Not yes. not easy, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, but but it's interesting because when when it's smooth and the sky is blue, I love flying. I love to look out the window. So I know all the all the planes. I know everything about them. I know about fuel efficiency and, you know, safety records. It's, it's, it's kind of like a sickness, but anyway, you've been flying so much. Yeah, I, I know. I, I do have a lot of, of air miles and, and the ones that I have are not even, you know, I've flown double, triple because I haven't, you know, you didn't start logging your air miles until like I, I flew with Pan Am where I was a platinum member um, and then Pan Am went bankrupt and, and after Lockerbie actually, and then United took over those routes. And so anyway, um, yeah, millions, millions and millions of miles. Are there any great books that you're reading right now or shows that you're watching that you might recommend? Yes, I am. Uh, I just read a book called 2034 and it is by Admiral Stavridis and Elliot, Elliot Ackerman, I believe. So Ad- Admiral Stavridis is a uh, obviously has an incredible uh, viewpoint of um, of what the world looks like and where where influence is going, uh, change change of world order. And Elliot Ackerman is he he's a veteran and uh, and also incredible viewpoint of uh, you know what happened after two thousand and one, the whole. Afghanistan period, Iraq, and, you know, uh, Second Desert Storm. It's um, the war on terrorism. Now, you know, the, the most recent um, and horrific war of, uh, of Ukraine. And so, you know, post-pandemic, what's happening in China, it's, it's very, very interesting. I would highly recommend it. Also, when I go on my walks, I listen, I listen to Smartless, the podcast Smart, Smartless, and to uh, GPS, Fareed Sakari. I think he's an amazing internationalist. Um, yeah, very, very uh, impressive man. Wait, you listen to Smartless? Yeah. Tell me about that podcast for a second. I think I know it. So, 
Smartless. Yeah, it's Will Arnett. It is uh, Jason Bateman and Sean Hayes. And they invite, they, every week they invite a new, one of them invites a mystery guest. And it's always, you know, somebody that's very well known or, you know, very accomplished. It's, it's really well done. You know, they have a great sense of humor and there's a very great dynamic and personal dynamic between them because they're close friends. And so, you know, they know their guests very well, um, often as well. So it's fun and super interesting to listen to, to them. Oh, the other book that I read that is really good is The Ride of a Lifetime by Bob Iger. Great, great. Read. Oh, really? I'm collecting yeah. books you can see behind me. I'm like always getting yes, I have so many yes. books. Yeah, like Into Into Thin Air was a good one about climbing. Into Thin Air was phenomenal. Because yeah. you learn so much from sports, right? You know, what's one big lesson that you take from all the athletes that you work with in sports and bring it into your business and your career that you would give to someone who's listening to the podcast? So there, there are many, many virtues that, that our athletes live by and they add up to strong and good character. So, you know, what we mentioned before was, um, you know, hard work, being honest, being kind, um, being empathetic, being disciplined and th those those are just part of the culture where where we live in WTA world and uh, they've been very very helpful to to me in my career and you draw from different different virtues when you have to um you know it's it's kind of a moving moving uh, very lively environment and uh, on some days you need x on other days you need y but, um, but yeah, you, you learn from each other for sure. Awesome. Well, this has been super great. Thank you, Mickey, for hopping on the podcast. Thank you, Marnie. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com, for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events 